It's been a tragic and tough week for a lot of people around the world. I don't know if you heard on the news um, that basically last yesterday um, there was a hostage situation uh, down in Mali at a hotel, and about 170 people had been taken hostage, and some people were killed, and um, they're no longer in the hostage situation. But you can imagine um, the shock and just the fear that that has created in that part of the world. And of course, you know about the terrorism that has um, happened and is continuing to happen in places like Paris, Beirut, and, and Nigeria, as well as the suffering in conflict zones in Syria and Iraq and Lebanon, as well as the sexual slavery and the poverty and the oppression um, and the natural disasters that happen all around the world. And whenever we hear news like this and we read news like this, whether it's um, on Facebook, whether it's uh, in the newspapers, uh, whether it's on the radio, when we are confronted with the amount of pain and suffering in the world, the question that comes up is, why is this happening if there is a God? And if there is a God, then how could he allow this to happen? Has God forsaken us? Where is God in the midst of all this tragedy? And forget the outside world, even when we go through pain in our own personal lives, it's a question that we have often asked that all of us, I'm sure, have asked at one point or the other, where is God? Why isn't he answering my prayer? And if there is a God, then how could he let me go through this? In those moments of doubt and difficulty, is there hope? And how can we have hope? How can we move past the pain and the suffering? And, and this is a question that not just Christians, but many people in the world ask and wonder. Uh, many people, whether they believe in God or not, um, ask, ask, ask themselves a question, how could there be such injustice? How can there be such suffering? Is there a different way? To look at this question and to look at how we can get through these moments of darkness, I want to go back in history to a time. And the time was AD 31, around April. And it was when a man named Jesus Christ, um, who had come to earth, claimed to be divine, had lived his 30-some uh, years of life, and basically um, had been condemned. He had been arrested in the middle of the night. He had been betrayed by one of his closest friends. And once he was taken uh, imprisoned um, in Pilate's court, he had been whipped, um, even though he had been found innocent. And, you know, when we talk about whipping, um, it wasn't just a few lashes. It was to the point of bleeding uh, where pretty much you're just, your back is raw. And, of course, after that point and after they have mocked him and, and spat on him and hit him, they crucified him. And once they crucified him, um, what they would do in these crucifixions is that they would uh, impale your, your feet um, on these pieces of wood, you know, they weren't these nice polished crosses that we have in many churches today. They were rough pieces of wood. Um, that's why there's a hymn, the old rugged cross. And so can you imagine the roughness of, of, the, of the barks of the trees rubbing against your raw back as you're being crucified? And because crucifixion basically meant that you are, um, your arms are outstretched and you're constantly in a state of inhalation in order to get a good breath of air you would have to pull back on your feet that have been nailed, um, scrape your back against the roughness of the wood in order to get a good breath in. And that's why when you look at the um, last few moments of Jesus' life, he uses very short 
words and short sentences to express himself, such as, I'm thirsty, behold your mother. Okay, short sentences because he, it's so painful for him to breathe, let alone talk. But one of the sentences that uh, he utters, you know, one of, I think, seven sentences, short sentences that he utters at the cross is the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when we look at that statement, it's totally understandable because not only was Jesus going through physical pain, okay, that much we already understand, but he was going through that emotional, mental anguish of knowing that the very people that he loved and the very people that he came to lead to an understanding of God that would lead to them uh, understanding him to the point of having eternal life and getting past um, the current state that they were in, those very individuals rejected him. And his close disciples had fled. And all but one uh, were nowhere to be seen. And not just that, but at the cross were women, one of which was his mother, having to watch Jesus go through this. You know, when um, I gave birth to Micah a few years ago, my mom came to, to be here and to help me. Um, and I asked her, um, are you going to come with me to the hospital? And she said, no, I don't. I can't bear to watch you in pain. Like, I don't, I don't think I can handle it. I'm going to stay home. I'll just pray for you and I'll, I'll wait. And I said, good, because I can't handle having you watch me go through it. I think that'll be more stressful for me than giving birth. And so we both agreed that she would stay home and that I would um, go through it with Roy. Roy had no choice. I was like, no, you're coming with me. <laughs> he couldn't get out of that. But, you know, can you imagine someone you love, watching someone you love go through incredible suffering and knowing that there's nothing you can do to help right? that that would be incredibly difficult not just for Mary Jesus's mother but for Jesus too watching his mother weeping and wailing and going through that heartbreak so we can understand he's gone through physical he's going through physical pain he's going through emotional pain mental pain but there was also tremendous spiritual torture that Jesus was under because Jesus, while he was being crucified, the temptation that he faced was the temptation that this wasn't worth it. The temptation that no one would appreciate what he's doing, that they wouldn't understand, and that ultimately all those people who were in the crowd yelling out, if you are the Christ, save yourself, and mocking him. And the very people in the crowd who were yelling out, crucify him, and, and you know, there the soldiers are gambling away their, um, Jesus' clothes amongst themselves, right? Because they didn't want to rip it up, so they wanted to see, cast lots to see who gets to take it all home. And so there, you know, there the leaders were mocking him. Um, they had put a crown of thorns around his head to mock the fact that he claimed to be the king uh, of the Jews. And so the temptation was to think that no one would ever get it. The temptation was think that he was going to die this death and that no one would, would understand the love of God and would appreciate what the death of Jesus would provide for humanity. And so he faced also this question because he understood that the terrible things that the many people around the world do. And, and when we look at the Bible and how the Bible describes the reason why Jesus had to die, it basically says that Jesus had to die because the wages of sin is death. In other words, 
for all the terrorists who kill the people around the world, for every Hitler that exists in the world, for every rapist that exists in the world, for every person in the world who has done anything to hurt someone else, we feel anger. We feel um, extreme frustration at the injustice. We want justice to be done. We want that person to pay for what they have done. And one way that we, the Bible describes those acts that hurt others is sin. And so when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, when, it's, when the Bible says that whenever you hurt someone else, that there is a consequence to that action, that there is justice to be had, the Bible demands that somebody has to pay for that price. And according to the Bible, Jesus came because he knew that if every person paid for all the times that we hurt one another, then all of us are doomed. And so he came to say, you know what? I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to step in and I will die the death that Hitler deserved. I will die the death that X, Y, and Z, every single one of us deserved. And when he did that, he was risking taking on something so atrocious, taking on something so shameful, taking on something that was so heavy that the temptation was to think that he and God the Father could never be united. For someone who loved to serve and who hated hurting others, to have to take on that burden of sin, to take on the responsibility, to take on the penalty of sin. It was like taking on something that would be so hateful to the person you love the most that it would make him wonder, can I ever be acceptable again? Is there any hope beyond this death that is a result of all the sins of the world? And so in that moment of agony, we can understand why Jesus would feel forsaken by God. We can understand that in that moment, there, and, and, and the Bible describes that there was a physical darkness that covered the earth at that time, even though it was in the middle of the day. And so you can imagine Jesus really feeling alone and feeling for the first time in his existence that God the Father was hidden from him, that, that somehow he wouldn't be able to come back into that loving relationship with God ever again. And, you know, imagine when you do something really bad against someone you love, right? And you feel really ashamed and you feel, uh, and you ask, and you wonder, is that person ever going to forgive me? And you wonder, are we ever going to be back to how we used to be? The first couple years of marriage are, are like that, like all the time. Every time you have a fight, you're like, ah, is this it? And then you get over the drama. But, you know, every time you have that break and, and you know that it's your fault, you know you've said things that hurt the other person, you feel that shame. Well, imagine that shame multiplied by a billion times, and that's the kind of anguish that Jesus experienced, wondering, am I ever going to be forgiven? Am I going to be acceptable? Am I going to be reunited with my God? But is that all that's going on here? Is Jesus' you know, anguished cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, simply a cry of despair? And I'd like to propose this afternoon that it's not. That actually Jesus' cry is not one of despair at all, but that it's one of faith. That despite the fact that Jesus felt not only agony, but also um, it's just that everybody was against him, that despite his feelings, that he was actually expressing faith. And let me illustrate by, uh, by making a point. If I say twinkle, twinkle, what comes next? 
little star. If I say Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And the reason why you can complete the sentence is because these are well-known songs, right? Well, in Jesus' day, when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was actually the first line of a song, of a well-known song. Uh, because the Jews grew up um, memorizing scripture, and especially the parts of scripture that were in the book of Psalms were set to music. Um, and so they would memorize entire pieces of the book of Psalms. And one of those was a, a chapter. If you turn to Psalm chapter 22, we're going to actually read through the whole song. Psalm chapter 22. And I want you to, as we read through this, we're going to be, I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 21. Um, and as I'm reading out loud and you're following along, I want you to think about why would Jesus quote this song? So let's start in verse 1, and I'm going to read, like I said, verses 1 to 21. And as I read, see if you can pick up why Jesus might have chosen this song. So notice the little superscript. It says, to the chief musician, set to, and I guess there was a song back then called The Deer of the Dawn. That was a popular song, and David wrote these lyrics to go with that tune. And it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a warm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot off the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God, but not far from me. For trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have circled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, and they look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. We'll stop there for a moment. Any ideas as to why Jesus might have chosen to quote this song? Why do you think Jesus chose to quote this song? It's a prophecy. A prophecy is uh, basically a prediction that uh, was given in the times before, obviously, it happens. Um, and many of the Psalms actually are prophetic Psalms. And David, um, inspired by God, would write these Psalms. In fact, um, a lot of David's Psalms are like that, including Psalm 23, 
the Lord is my shepherd, which we often quote is um, just for ourselves, but it's actually a prophecy about Jesus as well for another time. But here we see the prophecy that was fulfilled. And so can you imagine Jesus on the cross, his, his clothes are being gambled, his mouth is dry like a potsherd, it says. There they are mocking him, saying he trusted in God, let him save himself, right? Um, and there they are, his, his hands and his feet have been pierced. And he wants people to understand that he's actually fulfilling this prophecy. And he wants people to understand that this was something that for his whole life he has been preparing for. And he doesn't have the breath and, and the energy and the strength to quote the whole thing. And so he just quotes that first line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? And perhaps not everyone there would have realized it right away, but it would have stayed in their ears. It would have stayed in their minds to remind them about the, how the rest of that song goes. And as they're looking around, they would have seen the soldiers gambling. They would have seen Jesus being thirsty. They would have seen his pierced hands and his feet. And they would have hopefully begun to understand as the days went by, and of definitely later as Jesus resurrected, that yes, he fulfilled his mission. And we have to remember something about Jesus, that even though he was God, that he was also a human being. That he, just as they said, he came in the womb, just like the rest of us. He was born as a baby. He had to be totally trained. He had to learn how to eat solid food. And as he grew, he had to learn about God. And so it was as, as, um, on Mary's knees that Jesus learned about Adam and Eve. And he learned about Abraham. And he learned about the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and he learned about Isaiah 53 that said that the Messiah would be taken like a lamb to the slaughter. He would learn about the various sanctuary uh, rituals, and when he was 12 years old, even though the Bible doesn't tell us much about Jesus' childhood, we do know that when he was 12 years old and he went to the temple for Passover, it was a festival that celebrated how when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, um, God had told the people, put the uh, blood from this lamb on the doorpost. And that would mean that whoever's in that house, the firstborn, they wouldn't die. But that if you didn't do that, the firstborn of the house would die. And that was a judgment that was passed upon Egypt. And so anyone who believed and put the, do- uh, the blood of the lamb, nothing would happen to that house. And so they celebrate that year after year, this cl- called Passover. And so when Jesus was 12 years old, there he went to the, to the temple, and there he saw the little lamb being taken being killed, the innocent lamb, and the blood of that lamb basically atoning for the sins of the people that had brought that lamb. And the people get to go home free, but it's because the lamb died. But the lamb was just a symbol. It's not really that the lamb took the place of the human, but the lamb was supposed to be a a symbol for how one day God himself would die for his people. And we know that Jesus in that moment, maybe he understood it before that, but definitely by that point, Age 12, he understood, I'm supposed to die. Can you imagine being 12 years old and learning that your mission and your purpose in life is to die? And as he read Psalm 22 someday in his um, you know, childhood, studying scripture, memorizing scripture as any Jewish uh, young man would do, and he would read Psalm 22, and he knew that this was a prophecy. And he would read the part that said, They have pierced my hands and my feet. And he would realize, Oh, I'm going to be crucified. 
And of course, he also realized that when he studied Numbers 21 and how Moses had to lift up a serpent on on a, on a pole. And uh, that's why when Jesus later talks to a man named Nicodemus, he says, I also must be lifted up. He knew that he was going to be crucified. And that's why, because his whole life, as he studied scripture, as he prayed with God, as he communed, because he knew the kind of death he had to die, it was such a difficult time for him, the night of the arrest. As he was praying in the garden, he prayed, Dear God, if possible, please don't make me do this. Because he knew it was going to be difficult. But the fact that when the time came, he was able to quote this song, shows that Jesus, even though he felt forsaken, even though he felt like he was going through the depths of the worst possible hell, he believed. Not only that he was fulfilling a mission, not only that this was not just a pointless death, but he believed that people would one day believe and accept the sacrifice that he was making on their behalf. If you continue to read in Psalm chapter 22, starting from verse 22, there's a transition. At the end of 21, it says, You have answered me. So the first half there is this cry of anguish. This is what's going on around me. Look at, look at my hands and my feet. Look at, look at the pain. Look at the people. And then finally in 21, it says, You have answered me. And then the rest of the psalm is this beautiful praise. 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. And it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this when you look at that last phrase that says that he has done this this is in italics and whenever um, you see in your bible that a word is in italics that means that word is not there in the original that it's been supplied by the translator to help the sentence flow better because it sounds awkward to say he has done so they said let's put in a this but then they put in italics to let you know this is not in the original language and so in the original language it simply just says it is finished which is one of the last sentences that Jesus spoke and so Jesus quoted the first line of the song my God my God why have you forsaken me and the last line of this song it is finished left it to everyone else to fill in the gap because they had access to Psalm 22 they knew it and he starts out by expressing yeah it's a terrible situation that I'm in but I will praise God because someday, someday, there is going to be justice. Someday, the kingdom will be God's. Someday, we will all worship before him. Someday, Jesus knows that all, it says all the families of the world will come and bow down before him. Someday, 
stories of what Jesus has done and what God has done, it says, we told to people yet unborn. That's you and I. This afternoon, hearing about what happened to Jesus because Jesus had the faith to endure through his crisis. When we go through pain and suffering, we might never be able to answer the why, why me, why this. But just as Jesus did, as we go through and look at how God has led his people in the past, as we look at the Bible stories of how, of how God has been faithful, how he makes a way when there seems to be no way, how he brings life out of death, we can have faith that God has a plan for the future that is going to make things right. That even though there is death now, there is resurrection to come. That even though there is pain now, there is healing to come. That even though there are tears now, one day he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And that not only will there be justice, but that the pain we experience is actually going to result in healing. Because you see, pain is not always a bad thing. Doctors will know this. Pain is a way for your body to communicate to you something is wrong, right? And if we didn't feel that pain, just like um, you know, some people with leprosy and, and other diseases where they cannot feel the pain, it actually leads to greater um, destruction of the body because you know, if you can't feel that something's hot, you're going to touch it and you're getting burnt and you don't even realize it. Or you're chopping away and you chop off your finger but you don't know because you don't feel the pain. Or I do this all the time. I bump into things. The other um, few weeks ago, I was in Sydney, and I woke up one morning, and I was in so much pain. Um, and I had this huge bruise on my leg. And I was complaining to Roy, I don't understand how this happened. And Roy was like, yeah, last night, in the middle of the night, you, like, I heard this bump. And then you said, ow. And I was like, I don't remember. <laughs> but apparently I did. And so there was the bruise in the morning. And so... Pain is, a, is the body's way of communicating to, communicating to us that uh, something is wrong. Um, it's often because of these symptoms that we get to find out the root of the problem. And so pain and suffering in the world is actually trying to let us know there is something deeply, deeply wrong with the world. And that problem is called sin. It's called selfishness. Because of the selfishness of humanity, there is pain and suffering in the world. And God is letting us know, I have a solution to that. I have a solution to that sin. I have a solution to that selfishness. And it's called sacrifice. Here is my son, Jesus, who sacrificed for you. And I'm asking you to love one another and sacrifice for one another as a, and do something in order to change around that situation to alleviate the suffering. And of course, it's not going to get rid of sin and suffering for everyone in the world, but that's up to God. He promises that one day He is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And He will end the, end the suffering and the pain and the injustice. And He will establish Himself as the King. And there will be justice. And until that day, He asks us to have faith. The Bible says faith if you don't have faith, how do we increase it? Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So the more we look at the stories of God, the more we share our testimonies, the more we look at how God has led in the past and is leading in the present, the more our faith increases. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When you go back and read Psalm 22, he says, you have led the people in the past. You have led our forefathers. You have led the generations. 
He says, I will praise you as a result. Back when I used to exercise a long time ago, <laughs> I used to have these Nike shoes. And this is a long time ago because this is before Fitbit. This is when Nike Plus was really cool. Did anyone have Nike Plus? That's how long ago I used to run. Um, and so I had these Nike Plus shoes where you have those little things that you put into your shoe and it syncs with my with your iPod, which was like new at the time. And it would it would um, tell the iPod, you know, how far you're going and the pace. And like I said, back then that was really cool new technology. So I was very happy with these shoes. And um, the cool thing about these shoes also is that it would sync with my iPod's playlist. And so as I'm running, um, I was jogging and when you slow down, like they, they would have your average pace. And when you start to slow down, they would play a power song, uh, what they would call a power song. And basically the idea is that when that song comes up, you know, it's usually an upbeat song, then it would pump you up and motivate you to go faster. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think, I think my power song was like, I will survive or something like that. But the idea was that, you know, one, they would pick a song from your playlist that, that, um, would motivate you to just finish that last mile, to, to go that extra little bit, to get their energy back up. And I believe that Psalm 22 was Jesus' power song, to get him through that last hour, to get him through that difficult time. And I wonder if we have that power song, whether it's a promise in the Bible, whether it literally is a song that um, you love, whether it's a thought that you have heard or read somewhere, but something that will get you through those dark, difficult times and that will give you hope, that will motivate you to know this is not the end. There is hope. There is justice. There is a future. And God is going to make things right. And that even though we might feel forsaken, even though we might feel like God is not near, that he has promised to never leave us and that he is with us, and that he will empower us and encourage us to keep going until he makes all things right. And so I want to challenge you, what song can you have in your head? And for those of you who have no idea, let me leave you with one of my favorite songs. This is my power song from the Bible, and I'll read it to you as we close. It's in Romans chapter 8. And um, I'm going to skip through because it's quite a big passage, so I'll just skip through, but follow along with me. Romans chapter 8. Romans is a book in the New Testament, a letter written by Paul, who actually went through a lot of suffering. Paul uh, says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Um, and it says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And it goes on to say, The whole world is waiting for the suffering to end. And then it starts in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? 
it is God who justifies. He who is it who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is risen, who is at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're welcome to borrow my power song, um, or you can have your own. But I encourage you, find it, keep it as your anchor. And when you go through these times of trouble, times of trouble in the world, and times of trouble in your own life, may you also have victory through faith. May you also be able to see beyond the difficult circumstances and the feelings that we go through, to be able to say that God has done and He has finished. And may that encouragement and faith be our motivator as we go through、um, our daily lives. Thank you. <laughs>